Hi again, everyone. Thanks for listening to localjobnetwork.com radio, and welcome back to the LJN Radio Quad, where four of us sit down to discuss a variety of topics related to employment and the workplace. I'm Tim Muma, and joining me in the quad today, we have Liz Dotson. Hello. Jacqueline Peterson. Hi. And Ashley Fitzgerald. Hello. Now, as per usual, lots of good stuff on the table for this episode and some good diversity as well when we're talking about the specific subjects we're going to dive into. Let's go ahead and kick things off with Liz, who has an interesting strategy for job seekers. Of course, the question is, is it effective? Yes. Well, we all know job seekers are looking to stand out in this oh-so-competitive market. And so um, I'd actually found an article that I thought was a little interesting on having a personal website as a job seeker. Mm. So we all know LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, the social media um, that people get involved in, but this was kind of a new concept. I thought that was interesting about actually maintaining a personal website to direct people to. We all know people are looking as you're applying for jobs (laughs) and going through the interview process. There's so much access to information. So I thought I'd get feedback on what people think about this. Is this something we think will catch on? Right now, they say only 7% of people have personal websites. But are we talking about the future here? I, you know, in reading through this article, I thought there was definitely a lot of interesting statistics in it when it was saying 93% of recruiters will review a candidate's online profile before an interview or before a phone screen. And I, you know, I guess I assumed that, but that's a pretty high number. So having a personal website and that coming up in a Google search probably would really help candidates portray themselves in a different light. However, I also have to think, who has the time to keep up a personal website? Um, (laughs) It's kind of mind-boggling to me that, you know, if somebody has a great website, well, are they actually working and focusing on their career, Mm -hmm. too? Or is this um, somebody that's just trying to fluff their website? Do I want to hire them? So I guess I kind of—I don't know. For me, if I were to look at a personal website, like I said, I would think— how are you keeping this up to date? And it would just lead me to think a little bit deeper as, okay, is this your hobby? Are you doing this on the weekends? Or, uh, you know, when are you having time to update it? So I don't know if it would be as effective. Call me old-fashioned, but what happened to the good old resume? Like, I'm not entirely convinced about the .me website. I went to the website to look at it, and I was just like, oh, this is overwhelming. I'm done. <laughs> um, it's but, a social resume. Sure. And I and I and I get that. But I guess tangentially related to what Ashley's saying, not only the time spent to do it, but what if I'm not creative enough to have something that just really impresses, like, mm-hmm. wow, right. look at my background and my skills. Now I've got that added pressure of well, geez, now I've got to start thinking about that. And do I now call on my friends who are in marketing and have them help me out? And it's just Let's just keep it to the basics. You know, the clean resume, <laughs> white page, one page if possible, black font, <laughs> time to run with 12. You know, it's a I good point, know. though, because it might be relevant for certain industries. industries. Right. So if yep. marketing, sure. you want to show your portfolio and demonstration of your work or in IT, if you want to show, hey, I can create a pretty sweet website. Yeah, graphic design, journalism, you want right. to show your writing. Yeah, so I, I wasn't uh, compelled. Yeah, I personally think you can show your expertise or show off some of your work. I think you can do that with other social media. I mm-hmm. mean, I think I think people a lot of times utilize Twitter really well with that, where they're sharing articles from experts or they're giving their own insight and they get you can, you know, get into conversations with people. I think that's more authentic. I think you can pull off the website. I agree if it's an industry related, if it's marketing or maybe programming of some kind. Um, but Ashley, you brought up the point of keeping it up to date. I think it's kind of 
you know, you're between a rock and a hard place because mm -hmm. if you're updating it constantly, to your point, you're wondering, well, is this all you're doing? Are you working? Well, why is this your focus when you're, you know, a financial analyst or something? And then the other side, if you're not updating it, to me, that looks bad too. If you haven't updated in six months, somebody goes to the site to check you out and there's nothing there, hasn't been right. updated. So I, I think there's a risk there. I think if you have the time and you have the you know ability to do it, by all means, it's a way to stand out. But I, I agree. I think there's got to be a balance somewhere. I agree that you know the traditional ways still are effective. Um, you think of people that are hiring still are going to be looking for those items. But I think if you're utilizing social media and still having that presence, a positive presence online, I think that helps. I don't necessarily know you need to go to that step, but you know, I'm also not in the area of hiring people. So I defer to you three more so. <laughs> well, you know what? You probably should have been hired in the time it took to actually create that website. Right. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, what's your take on it, though, Liz? Yeah, I, I can't ever see spending the time to do this. Um I mean, I'm faceless. So, you True. know, for me, that's <laughs> me a whole <laughs> nother world I'd be entering into. I mean, yeah, it's it's nice, but it's, uh, I don't know. I, I'm Is with Jacqueline necessary? on the good old resume and the yeah. good old interview. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so many times, you know, we talk with people and it comes down to, look, it could be that one hiring professional that does like it and, hey, you get you get the call or whatever, or, you know, it could be the one that doesn't like it and that's what costs you the job. I mean, I mm -hmm. know it, so it's kind of, there's no finite answer, but mm -hmm. if if those listening are paying attention, it sounds like, eh, we're not there yet. I don't know if that's going to sell it that much for you, but again, to each their own, I suppose. Might stay at 7%. It yes. might stay at 7%. And again, if industry-related, maybe it works out best for you. I mean, that's the way to look at it. But hopefully, of course, you do land that new position uh, if you're looking for something in particular. And sometimes, of course, uh, you get into a role that you, you got and you thought it was going to be one way and it didn't turn out that way or something else goes wrong with that job. And then what? Well, Ashley actually found something a little bit related to that type of situation. I sure did. So I came across an article um, that said March 31st was now going to be titled Quit Your Crappy Job Day. <laughs> um, and that wrong. Uh, right. <laughs> and a lot of um, there's been a lot of spark about it. There's a website about it. There's a hashtag I quit uh social media going on on LinkedIn. And it just kind of uh, made me feel like, wow, is this going to be another bandwagon effect of something? And what is that going to do to the job market, the unemployment rate, et cetera? A lot of this article did talk about retention because, of course, if these types of things are going on in the marketplace, employers are going to have to step up their what they're doing to retain their employees. And so, um, you know, they talked a lot about why people are quitting their positions and maybe the passion is gone. They're no longer learning or they just really don't like the work that they're doing. So they give a lot of examples here. But I wanted to throw it out to you. Do you think that this is going to, days like this or or conversations like this is going to have an effect on the marketplace where we're going to see a lot more people thinking it's easy to jump ship and move careers? Well, I definitely think job seekers are starting to uh, come into more of the driver's seat. There's no uh, doubt about that. Employers are starting to hire more. And, you know, the market's definitely improving with the unemployment rate going down right now. I don't think quit your crappy job day is necessarily <laughs> going to be the reason, but yeah, I think that's unprofessional. I mean, as an you know, from the employer's standpoint, I I don't think it sends a good message, and I don't think you want to hire people that decide to leave on quit your crappy job day. That mm -hmm. that sends a message. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bad idea altogether. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, I think. 
I think the people who quit their job on quit your crappy job day probably have other things going on that they need to be thinking about because Mm -hmm. you should, you know, prepare a little bit and not put yourself in a compromising situation. And we all know that employers are interested primarily in passive job seekers, job seekers who are currently employed. So if you quit your job without having a job, you're no longer a passive job seeker. So now Mm -hmm. you've just sort of put yourself in a lower position than you would have had if you would have had something lined up or currently working. So yeah, not a good idea. No. Well, and and that's the point I was going to say as far as choosing a day to quit. I mean, I suppose in theory, you could have given them two weeks notice and then officially quit on that day. But sure. I know there's a romantic side of just quitting that day up and quitting. Drop the money. Drop the money. Yes. (laughs) Everyone wants to, you know, maybe they've been in a position where they feel that way. But uh, to your point, Jacqueline, obviously, it's it's not going to be ideal, most likely for you. I did want to ask about maybe the other side of it. If there was an influx at your organization where people did just quit like this. Is that a sign, though, that maybe you should be looking into something? Maybe something is going on because, and I again, I didn't read anything where it's like 10 people from this organization left on that day. Right, right. Um, but in, I guess in the bigger picture, if somebody or multiple people do quit in that fashion or there seems to be less professionalism with the quitting, is that something as an organization you need to look at then and say, are we doing something to precipitate this or do you just kind of feel those are those individuals' decisions? Uh, again, I'm not in, I've never been in a position of sort of looking at it from that broad scope. So I was curious if from that perspective, what you all thought. I always think you should be a little bit, you know, self-reflective. I think that if, especially in a managerial role, you have to remember that when people quit, they don't usually quit the job. They usually quit their manager. There's that phrase out there, I mm-hmm. think, for a reason. So you do want to take a step back and say, hmm, was it something that I was doing? And maybe it's not. Maybe it just wasn't the right fit culturally. Right. Maybe they didn't really like the job. But I do think as a manager, you have a duty to have that perspective and take a step back and think, okay, what is it that we need to do and adjust? And I think... Um, I think good organizations and good managers do that. I mean, we do um, all the time. We mm-hmm. say, what can we do to, you know, make the the environment um, different and more appealing? And we, we're constantly tweaking things right. and from things that we read online down to job descriptions. And we're working on a new employer branding side of, you know, how to talk about our perks. I mean, there's different things that you can do. But absolutely, you should – I think you should be reflective. Even thinking about the people you hired – True. You know, even from the hiring standpoint, did we hire people with the wrong mindset? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I mean, I think if, like you said, if all of a sudden you see 10 people <laughs> leave on one day, it might because it be because right. of the day. Right. But um, really, I mean, I think it's going to come down to what specifically were they not happy with and being able to reflect on that and change your work and policies. And maybe you can't change it. it. Maybe it's just them. Right. And that is true. I mean, I, I think I think the conversation piece is that I would say from an out, kind of an outside looking in, don't be arrogant enough to think you had nothing to do with it, but mm-hmm. don't also assume that you could have done anything because your point, it could have been a personality clash. It could have been yep. culture clash, yeah, the I mean, wrong fit. Could be a number of things. But, but you want to take the, the time to look. Sure, sure. But be on the lookout on Twitter if you see hashtag I quit yes. or hashtag be quit careful. Your job day. <laughs> Keep an eye out there. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. well, you brought it up, Jacqueline, as far as managers. I think, you know, of course, that's kind of the ideal scenario. You go into an organization, you develop, you potentially move into a position of becoming a manager. And um, that's the topic I was kind of looking at because a lot of times it seems like 
you know, people become an expert at their job. And then the next logical step is to move them into a management type position. But those could be different skills that they don't have or haven't developed or don't have the experience. Obviously, you three here all have experience in that area. So I wanted to pick your brain as far as when somebody does take over as a manager, what are a lot of the common mistakes, common missteps they might make because they don't have that experience? And then help the listeners out. What can they do to avoid that? Or or what can they do to really take that next step, which it seems like can be very difficult for people in those positions? One thing that came to mind right away was what I didn't do personally was trust and verify. I just trusted. Um, (laughs) And and, and it it bites you because I, I think sort of what I struggled with was I just made the assumption, well, Everyone works like me, you know, mm-hmm. but then you have to take a step back and recall like, well, no, you're the manager because you work a special way that your peers aren't working, which is why you were sort of elevated. And so not everyone works like you. So right. you do have to trust and verify. So just do that and you should be well on your way. <laughs> Don't just trust because you'll be surprised. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the assumption piece, Ask a, I definitely would say you got to ask a lot more questions mm-hmm. than maybe what you think. Because you can't assume things and you really need to make sure that the people you're managing are on the same page with you. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking of, too, is um, you have to realize now you're helping others. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times that transition is hard where, you know, you've been so focused on me, me, me. And now you have additional team members that you also have to focus on. So being able to manage your time to be able to still do your job, but also knowing that you have other people that you need to get up to your level as well and and you know, potentially be a manager in the future as well. And I I think that transition sometimes is hard. And so being able to, as a new manager, realize, okay, my mindset has to shift a bit. Right. Well, in the same vein, is it something where, let's say you take over, you know, a group of people and they have, you know, differing responsibilities that maybe you don't have insight Mm -hmm. into experience. Is that something where you need to take the time to dive in and, and learn that position? Not that you could do their job, but that you know enough. How, do, how does that all play together? I absolutely think that, mm-hmm. especially depending on the type of position. Let's say that you were um, a manager of finances, you know, and a financial advisor, and you're managing all these people that have these different series tests that they had to pass, mm-hmm. and you didn't have those tests and your mm-hmm. own certifications. Right. How do you manage them then? Mm-hmm. So I think it definitely depends on uh, the industry, the type of work, but you you for sure should know some of what they're doing. That's again where the asking questions comes in because a lot <laughs> of times you're not you're not going to be able to be the expert in in everything, right. and um, that's the challenges of managing is you rely on others to fill you in and update you and be able to provide the expertise. But that's where the questions come into play, and in making sure that you are getting briefed on what's happening and and asking the questions as far as next steps and recommendations and just making sure that you understand who does, who you can go to and who you Mm -hmm. maybe need to help develop more. I mean, who your experts are and who who aren't maybe. Is that something that the employer or the organization as a whole might look into doing to help that manager learn? I mean, again, it's going to depend on exactly what you're trying to do. But as far as that development piece, do you see that being an important part of it? Well, sure. Just to go off of that, too, I think 
along with getting to know what they're, you know, dealing with or what they're expected to be doing, you want to get to know them as mm-hmm. well because everybody works very differently. So if you have a, you know, A personality versus a B personality, you need to speak to them a little bit differently. Or if you have somebody that's, you know, maybe a little bit more analytical versus, you know, expressive, that again is going to come into play on how you address certain things with them. So I think, you know, sitting down, getting to know them and their personality, especially if you haven't worked with them in the past, uh, is also a really good thing for new managers to do. All right. Well, some good insight for people out there who might be in that position. And um, even anyone who has been a manager for a while, you can always learn, obviously, from people who have that experience. Well, that uh, unfortunately does bring us to the final topic already for today. And we have another look at some OFCCP developments. And that's where our resident expert comes in handy. Jacqueline, what did you have for us? Oh, geez, expert. I don't know about (laughs) that. Um, No, I just wanted to quickly bring up for our listeners out there who are federal contractors, and hopefully you already know this, but it's just a friendly reminder that in December, on December 3rd, the OFCCP announced a final rule that it will prohibit federal contractors um, from discriminating in employment on the basis of sexual orientation and uh, gender identity. So that was December 3rd, and then it went into effect 120 days since then, which is actually today. Um, (laughs) So the rule is in effect. And I guess basically what that means to contractors is while there's no data collection that contractors have to do, you do not have to survey anyone and ask them. It's There's nothing like that. But you do have to update your equal opportunity clause to include the phrases uh, gender identity and sexual orientation. So just heads up on that. Make sure that your EEO clauses are updated uh, effective this week. So and like you said, this is something that we've actually talked about. You brought up on the show on the quad before. Yeah. We've had a couple of shows on it in the past, too. So as you said, hopefully you understood that this was coming, but now it's actually going to affect. Yeah. The and there's articles. Check out the OFCCP Digest. There's um, some of our expert consultants and attorneys have written articles about it, too. So check that out, the OFCCP Digest. You can get more information. So. All right. Awesome. Well, that is going to do it for us here on the LJN Radio Quad. Definitely some great points to take away from our conversation today and some different areas of employment and the workplace specifically. As always, feel free to send us a message to LJN Radio at localjobnetwork.com. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about the next time or even give us some feedback on any of our other LJN Radio episodes. And again, you can reach out to us on Twitter as well. Find us at the LJN. For Liz Dotson, Jacqueline Peterson, and Ashley Fitzgerald, I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.